Blog Talk Radio. Sixers Report with your host, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Caskey-Blomain. Welcome back to another draft preview episode of the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Caskey-Blomain. And we'll have a, a very special guest on shortly, draft expert and stat expert for Nylon Calculus, Andrew Johnson. Uh, we're now on iTunes, so make sure to check us out and rate us on there. And as always, you can follow us on the app Stitcher, and uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. Uh, we're now just three weeks away from the NBA draft here, Mike. Uh, the cries for Ben Simmons in a Sixers uniform seem to be gaining steam in Philadelphia, as well as people kind of clamoring to ship Joel Okafor out of town. Uh, among all this, a new trade rumor popped up in the last couple of days involving Nerland's Noel. Apparently, the gist of the trade would be to send Nerlens to the Bulls in exchange for Derrick Rose, the Bulls' pick at number 14, and either Taj Gibson or Mike Dunleavy. Um, it makes sense in that, you know, the Sixers can absorb a salary in exchange for, you know, an enigmatic former star at this point and a higher first-round pick that maybe they could package to move back into the, you know, top 10 in the draft. Um but outside of that, I just don't see why the Sixers would do this trade. Uh, Mike, what did you think of this rumor when you saw it, and is this something fans should be considering right now? Uh, you know, I, I didn't like that when I saw it, and just as of like four minutes ago, another rumor popped up from uh, Shams Charina of uh, The Vertical, obviously a, a very trusted source that said the Sixers mm. are uh, – in the midst of discussing a deal centered on sending Nerlens Noel to the Hawks for Jeff Teague. Um, you know, I, I absolutely trust Shams and the, and the verticals reporting. Uh, so that tells me that this deal is definitely at least being discussed and, uh, you know, very unhappy to hear that. That's pretty much the exact type of move. I don't want the Sixers to do, uh, you know, trading a potential defensive player of the year that can basically guard any position on the floor and is getting better offensively for, uh, you know, average to per kind of good point guard in either one of these rumors, whether it be Rose or Jeff, <laughs> neither of those guys I'm very high on, uh, you know, Rose obviously was an MVP five years ago, but you know, can't put any trust in him, in him now. And Jeff T got like, but not, you know, not, not to give up Netherlands for, there's so many good young point guards in the league. And, you know, so I feel like there's so many coming up and consistently that to trade, you know, a piece like Nerlens for either of these guys, 
would be a mistake, and I think it would be, you know, a bad a bad way for Brian Colangelo to introduce himself to the Philly fan base by trading a guy in there and Noel for, you know, a point guard that, you know, could probably be gotten at, you know, someone better. Especially because the other week, you know, Brian kind of talked about him as, as being a centerpiece moving forward. So to go back on his word so quickly, you know, it, it's obviously not the question, but when you're talking about guys like Teague and Rose, it, it just doesn't really, you know, make sense. It doesn't really make fans excited uh, about a possible deal. I mean, statistically, Derek Rose didn't have a terrible year last year, but obviously didn't have the type of numbers he had between, you know, 2009, 2012, those like MVP-like years that he had. I mean, he averaged 16.4 points, 3.4 rebounds, and 4.7 assists on the year last year you know, 28 to start the season next year. Does Rose have any chance to ever, you know, come close to being the player he once was, in your opinion? No, and uh, not only that, I'm not a big fan of his attitude, like, recently off the court any, in general. He just doesn't seem like a guy that's honestly super motivated to get back to that status. He's made several comments about, you know, wanting to just maximize his ability to get paid and wanting to, you know, stay, keep his body healthy for his post-basketball career. And he just honestly, at this point, doesn't really seem like a guy that's driven to be uh, the focal point of, of a team or an MVP caliber player, uh, which I'm not necessarily passing judgment on him for. I can't imagine how difficult it would go. It would be from, you know, going from basically the peak of the, the NBA, the MVP to, you know, multiple straight seasons with, uh, season ending injuries and kind of being an afterthought at this point. But, uh, you know, I just don't really, I don't see Derrick Rose as a player of value in today's NBA. And I think a lot of people probably feel that same way at this point, it's really up for him to prove, uh, you know, to prove differently. Even the past couple of seasons when he's been healthy, he's still in and out of the Bulls lineup. Uh, the production's inconsistent. He, uh, you know, supposedly clashed with Jimmy Butler off the court. Uh, you know, it's just there's a lot going on with Derrick Rose. It doesn't seem to be positive, and that's just not uh, the type of guy I really want around this young Sixers team. Well, let's not spend too much time today discussing rumors. Obviously, you know, we have a lot of draft talk to discuss here. Uh, I'd like to introduce Andrew Johnson of Nylon Calculus, who just wrote a very interesting piece that broke down, you know, who the Celtics could select with the third pick of NBA draft. Um, first of all, Andrew, we're thrilled to have you on the show. And for those not too familiar with the work you do, can you kind of explain how you came up with those projections for the draftees in the article? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I built a model which a couple of years ago. Um, you know, and it's a simple, relatively simple regression-based model. And I use a target variable that's you know, kind of gauges efficiency basically based on uh, box score stats. Um, the advantage of using box score stats is they actually translate pretty well from college or Europe to the pros. And the disadvantage is uh, it's not as complete a gauge as, you know, using a, an adjusted plus minus, uh, which some people do, but doing it for a couple of years and, and so far it you know beats the the experts at least uh by by its own own terms beats the, the nba teams and has a couple of years uh out of sample that i've tested so uh seems seems to hold up and as you're probably well aware by now you know the sixers are rumored to have involved in with a trade you know jill Okafor to boston for that number three pick 
which right. obviously makes that article even more relevant to Sixers fans. And uh, I guess going by that model that you use, you know, you have Chris Dunn and Jamal Murray as significantly better choices at number three than, say, you know, Buddy Heald or Jalen Brown. Um, can you explain to me, you know, why that is? And if the Sixers were to get the number three pick in the trade, is there a preference for you on who to pick between Dunn and Murray? Um, you know, uh, I think the model likes uh, Murray a little bit uh, better. Um, one of the, the big things, uh, you know, is age. It, age, I think, is something that casual fans sometimes um, don't value quite as as much as as they should. Um, but it's it's a big factor. The other thing, um, you know, in addition to sort of the overall uh, stats, I project out um you know different categories for players and uh, Murray mm-hmm. um projects as one of the best scorers um in this draft scoring is pretty hard to to project so yeah, I wouldn't put too much um weight on it but um you know he he's uh he projects as, as a high scoring guard you know defense is, is a clear question and that's something that um the models not Great at great at picking up. Yeah, that's something you really mm-hmm. kind of have to rely on the eye test and and the the trained scouts. Um, so, you know, if the organization thinks that you know, he's going to be able to be a passable uh, defender, uh, I, I would definitely take uh, take Murray in that situation. Not that I, I mean dislike. a lot of people. Oh, sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Is that not that I dislike Dunn um, as a prospect? Um, but, um, you know, ba- based on the model's numbers, it definitely sees, um, Murray as, as, um, the clearer person, but there are other, other players, I think that maybe are a little bit more favored over Murray, but he, he's certainly a, a decent pick, um, at that third. One of the things I tried to make, uh, you know, clear that the reason I wrote that article is once you get past, uh, Simmons, and Ingram, it's really mm-hmm. um, hard to project. There, there are a lot of guys who are, you know, a good shot at being good players, but those are those are the two standouts. And, and so, um, you know, in one, just from a GM's position, I'm not sure I would want that third pick because there's a good chance you're going to be wrong. And, and somebody's going to say in, in four years, you know, why did you pick this player over uh, three other guys who ended up being better? Um you know, when you're when you're picking out of uh, ten guys who who are kind of rate about the same, you know, the odds of you getting the best one out of the, out of that group is is not good. So then, in your personal opinion, you know, if you're the Sixers, you have this boatload of talent at the power forward and center spots, and you know, you're looking to get rid of one of those pieces for the third pick. Mm-hmm. Do you advise against that? Uh, no, you know that's sort of being just uh, selfish as a as a GM. If you're you're being risk averse and want to hold on to your job as an organization, um, you know I, I think that's perfectly legitimate. But the other issue with that, you know, some of the best prospects, um, even behind um, Simmons, are power forwards and centers. I think mm-hmm. um, so. You know, if if you're going on a position basis, um, 
you're kind of limiting yourself. Your Dragon Bender is is another one uh, who, who I think is a, is a really uh, he probably would be my pick at the third spot. I think he's got the highest upside outside of um, the top two. Mm-hmm. He, he comes in in the model. He, he's you know he's right in that mix. There, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of clear def- differentiation. So um, you know, from the Sixers, if, if they're doing this to kind of clear up a log jam. Um, yeah, then there's a, a question of whether they do it. I think you might be looking, um, you know, can you take, would you guys have the 24th and 26th picks also? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how high up can you, uh, can you move if you, if you combine those or, um, you know, make maybe a smaller move if, if they want to get to the, the back half of the, um, lottery not give up quite as valuable pieces as Oak before or, or or Noel. And I mean, all the kind of local media in Philadelphia, a lot of them have rated Buddy Shield very highly. Uh, he's on your do not want list um, on this model. Right. Uh, I just, you know, I wanted to go into your thought process there and, you know, why I guess Buddy you know, didn't make it to that second tier of guards, um, yeah, you know, the, below you know, Simmons I, and, and Ingram. Sure. Um, you know, I try to do a little chart that breaks down, you know, by category um, what the player does well and, and, and what they, they don't do well. And so the only thing that, that Heald has uh, above average is scoring. He's below average and in distribution below average and rebounds below average and blocks and steals and, and uh, below average when you kind of put in those uh, demographic factors like age and, and the competition level competition level mm-hmm. was of course uh, good at, uh, at Oklahoma, but uh, you know, he's one of the older players in the draft. So, and, and again, the other factor on scoring, um, he's another one that rated as one of the higher scores, but scoring is one of the more difficult things to really predict. And, and it's, uh, so I guess if you want to say the model doesn't like hanging your hat on just, on just scoring. Um, you know, if you, if you combine that with, uh, distribution, like it, it loves, um, Denzel Valentine, who is, um, also an older player, but, you know, he, he's a very good rebounder for his position. He's, um, a good passer, good at distribution, and and a good scorer. So you know, he's got a little bit more uh, positive factors, um, and, and he, though he has the same negatives of age and and on the steals and and blocks, he he doesn't perform that well. So you know that's with with Heald. He, I, I think I put out a tweet the other day that he's probably the highest variance pick because. Um, you know, he could just end up being kind of Anthony, uh, a guy who's not quite good enough to get off the bench because he can't play defense, or or he could really, um, if his scoring translates, and he plays defense, uh, work into something. And Mike, obviously, you've gotten to see you know Buddy in depth, um, whether in games or you know YouTube clips. Uh, at this point, uh, I mean, shooting is his strongest point, clearly. Um, you know, if he does come to the Sixers, 
you know, do you see him as a day one starter, uh, especially if they're using that third pick on him? Um, you know, uh, you know. Again, it's it's not clear what what direction uh, the organization uh, is going with, you know, with the the current rumors, especially. But um, if we just sort of assume, you know, they're they're looking to take uh, small steps forward, not a- adding, uh, you know, a bunch of, of veterans, but take a, a longer rebuild path. I I think that uh, he could, but it's really going to be, can he play enough defense uh, to get on, uh, to stay on the floor, you know, and does the the coaching staff trust his, his uh, defense, you know, by by all accounts, um, he's a, he's a great uh, character player. Um, We got one model that I haven't really released that looks at, um, you know the the judgments from uh, NBA Draft dot net in terms of leadership and, and that, and I think that moves them up because um, you know they they rate him and they try and take kind of a consensus view uh, high, highly on those and that moves them up somewhat, but it you know kind of doesn't move them into the water at least by by my models uh, account. And uh, Mike, you know, did you have? I guess similar thoughts on Buddy Heald, or what was your view on him as a prospect overall? Uh, I don't think I was as high on him as, as some people were. You know, obviously I was impressed with his offensive uh, ability, and I was impressed with the way he played. Uh, you know, with poise throughout the tournament, I think he, you know, was one of those players that really benefited from uh, staying, you know, at school a little bit longer. Uh, although his age is obviously an issue for um, some people are talking about. I don't know if he would be able to, to start right away. I think Andrew made a good point in regards to his defense, you know, that him, his ability to play both ends of the floor uh, at the next level, I think will eventually determine how good of a player he'll actually be. If he can, uh, you know, be serviceable on the defensive end uh, and play, uh, you know, contribute offensively in, in a similar manner than he, that he did in college. And, you know, he could definitely be an asset, uh, to add through the draft, but that you know that's a lot of ifs, and I'm I'm not quite sure that he can necessarily come in and start scoring at at the same you know rate that he was able to throughout the tournament. And the people uh, you know the the kind of just watch those recent games and are expecting similar production. I, I don't think that's uh, you know necessarily the case. So I, I wouldn't be necessarily against adding him in a capacity if a Sixers somehow did secure, you know, a second lottery pick somewhere after the outside of the top three. And we're looking to add some perimeter production, uh, you know, since the organization obviously needs that uh, and adding another guy in this, in this draft with, you know, what's going to be hopefully a Ben Simmons or a Brandon Ingram can't hurt. So, uh, you know, I think the jury's still out on how good of a pro he'll be, but he, he wouldn't be a guy that I would be, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing him come to the Sixers. All right. And uh, Mike and I, you know, we discussed in length the Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram debate on our last show. Mm -hmm. Uh, We both feel like, you know, the Sixers can't really go wrong drafting either of these prospects. Um, But I I felt like at the end of the day, Ingram might be a better fit on the Sixers, uh, just the way the roster is currently constructed. Um, And also, you know, the NBA is kind of heading in that direction, you know, three-point shooting as a whole. Sure. where Mike feels like, you know, it's best to take the best player available, which is widely viewed as Simmons at this point. You know, Simmons scored over two and a half points higher than Ingram in, in the model that you use to rate prospects. 
So right. you know, why is it that Simmons, Simmons is just so far above the rest of the draft class? And, you know, what prospects from the past have kind of scored in a similar range to what Simmons got from you? Um, yeah, Simmons, Simmons is, is very um, high in the draft. If you know, kind of look at those categories I talked about, he does um, all of them well. He, he was above average in in all of them. Um, you know, it does factor in the fact that Ingram is is um, even though they're both freshmen, Ingram is uh, significantly younger. Um, but Ingram, you know, did well, or he was kind of average in all compared to the other prospects and you know that sounds bad but when you, you factor in his age it's impressive that he you know uh was holding mm-hmm. his own against um a lot of guys who were three or four years uh older than him and those are you know really important years development wise uh, so you know simmons rates um he he rates i think the only person who's rated above him uh that I've run in the model um in the last couple of years is um he's about about the same level I think as uh as um Carl Anthony Towns um so he's okay. he he's kind of um at that level um he might even be a, a little bit above I don't know if I would really say that I think that he's going to be you know I think uh Towns actually blew out even what the projections, you know, what the lofty projections were the season he had um, last year. But, um, you know, he's he's in that star category. And if you look kind of the the, the distance between him and, and Ingram, at least, you know, as the model calculates it, is about as great as the distance between Simmons and – or between Ingram and the next tier um, yeah. of players. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's pretty significant. And uh, I kind of go on the best player available, which I think most analytically-minded people um, tend towards. Uh, Lane Bashro, he used to write for uh, Nylon Calculus and uh, now works for um, the Nuggets to the, the Granke group, um, wrote a piece last year before he was uh, hired by them, uh, kind of a manifesto on, on best player available, um, which was – you know, pretty pretty persuasive as Lane, Lane tends to be. Um, you know, you're you're really getting these players. You know, the great thing about the draft is you have kind of control of their contracts for eight to nine years, um, especially you know if if they turn out to be stars. So, you yeah. know, looking at uh, this next year's Sixers team, which I assume that team's going to have, you know, um, maybe not as much turnover as they've had the last couple years, but they're going to have a good amount of uh, turnover in the next two or three years till they probably uh, would would hope to get onto a path of of, of really um, stabilizing and, and building. So even though, um, you know, I think there, there's questions about Simmons' um, attitude. I, I'm not an expert in that at all, but uh-huh. that's something, you know, an organization has to, to consider. You know, if they, if they do, you know, consider any sort of red flags, you know, it's certainly not. You know, I wouldn't sit here and say, you know, it's out of the realm of possibility to go for for Ingram, but um, I, I wouldn't wouldn't think of it based on fit. I think though, um, you know, if Ingram can can actually shoot forty percent uh, on threes and, and play defense, you know, he he's going to be a heck of a player, and you're probably not going to be too too sad about it. 
Once again, this is the 76ers Report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Caskey Blomain and special guest Andrew Johnson. Uh, this NBA Finals matchup between the Warriors and the Cavs is the first time in NBA history that the two teams that ranked first and second in the league in three-pointers made during the regular season are now pinned against each other in the finals. Uh, the Sixers were respectable ninth in the NBA in threes made last season with 764. Golden State led the way with uh, 1,077. Um, Mike, we talked about this a little bit in our last show and in past shows, but you know how important is it now more than ever for the Sixers to build this team with a reliable perimeter shooting um, you know, arsenal moving forward? I think it's huge. You know, just watching the way um, that the NBA is trending right now, you mentioned the finals matchup. Uh, you know, teams are obviously relying more on three-point three shooting and floor spacing than they ever have. Um, you know, that that's where a lot of the, uh, I think, the support for Ingram obviously has come in regards to the Sixers fan base in the upcoming draft where, uh, you know, people see Simmons as a guy that, you know, not necessarily can't shoot but just didn't shoot last year uh, in college. And then they look at Ingram, a guy who who made, you know, 83s over the course of the season and was, uh, you know, clearly showed the ability to be able to, to space the floor and uh, stroke the, the from outside. So I think on, on face value, a lot of people, uh, you know, initially would be like, oh, well, we've got to get the guy that can shoot. But, uh, you know, if you add a guy like Simmons, I think then you can kind of look to uh, – you know, kind of sprinkle some shooters in around him. You, uh, there's already a couple guys on the roster that, uh, you know, obviously Robert Covington last year kind of had a, uh, an up and down season, but uh, you know, I'm still pretty high on him as a as a shooter for the team going forward. Um, obviously, Stauskas is still around, and uh, you know, if they end up adding another young a young guy in the draft, whether it be you know a Murray or a, a Buddy Heald or something like that, I, I think shooting is definitely something that can be. Uh, you know, added in along the way. And I assume, uh, you know, you, you kind of talked about the rumors as far as trading Okafor or Noel at the beginning of the show. Um, you would think that when and if that situation occurs, whatever um, whatever ends up coming back to Philadelphia will probably involve perimeter players. And, you know, you, you'd hope guys that can, can spread the floor. I think that's uh, will be, you know, a prime target for the Sixers when they're looking to move some of their front court players. So I think you can't, uh, you know, you can't really overstate the importance of shooting in, in today's NBA, and I think that's definitely something the Sixers will look to address. But I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, as we kind of talked about last week on the show, as far as the Simmons versus Ingram, I wouldn't uh, say I wouldn't take Simmons because of his the fact that he didn't shoot much. I think that the shooting can be addressed through other ways than you know in this summer and the year or two coming up as the team continues to build. Right. Yeah. And. and- you have to – a guy who's 6'10", who who doesn't shoot, I always view as much less of a problem than uh, you know, somebody who, who watched a lot of uh, Rajon Rondo teams, a uh, point <laughs> guard who, who can't shoot, um, or, or or another uh, perimeter player, um, or, uh, you know, an Evan Turner, as you guys probably are, are familiar with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when you look at a 6'10 guy who, who doesn't shoot doesn't, um, necessarily bother me that that, that much, um, especially. And if he develops any kind of outside shot, then you know, I, I, it's really probably has a chance to be something really special. 
Um, well, well, if I can ask uh, you guys one question. Um, so has there been much talk about those those two other picks, or, or what what's sort of the feeling on on what uh, people do they want to package them, or, or is there other people uh, who are kind of liked for those picks? Yeah, so I, I was going to get to that in a second. Um, sure. You know, Mike, we we kind of talked about you know the Sixers' options with those twenty fourth and twenty sixth picks on on draft night. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like Brian Colangelo is pretty dead set at the moment on shopping them, at least one of them mm-hmm. on draft night. Um, for what, who knows at this point? Um, but you know, say the Sixers package the picks to move up to the mid teens of the draft. Um, you know, Andrew, is there any player in that range that that you'd like you know to see in a Sixers uniform that that might fit with this team? Uh, yeah, there are definitely a, a couple of uh, good picks. I, I do think the one uh, conundrum you have is some of the best players are a little bit um, a little bit over overlapping with your current roster. And even though I said I'm a best player available uh, uh, kind of guy, it's um, it does does create a, a logjam and, and something that a uh, bit of a headache for the um, for the coach. If if you took another, you took Simmons and another, um, you know, another front court player, but um, mm-hmm. you know, Tyler Ulis is is going to be uh, he may maybe available. I think he's being um, mocked around a little bit above um, where where your team is, or maybe he's being mocked to fall to the twenty four, and, and I think he would be. You know, a good player if they can't move up uh, too much. Um, I think I like uh, Malik Beasley uh, to some extent, mm-hmm. and um, Wayne Baldwin are also a couple of uh, good perimeter players. You know, and, and there's a, a chance that somebody like uh, a Denzel Valentine, um, yeah, his the sort of mocks I've seen have him, you know, all over from. Uh, around 10 to uh, in the late lottery. And I think if, if uh, you know, he's available and, and they can package those two picks to, to move up, I think that would be a really a fantastic move. Um, even though, you know, he, his, even with his age, he may not be the highest upside, but you know, he's a guy who can handle the ball and uh, shoot from outside. And, and uh, you know, with somebody like Simmons who, is himself a great ball handler, um, you know, having a point guard who can play off of him, play off the ball, um, is, is useful. And Mike, uh, you know, have you given any thought to these picks? Uh, obviously we, we both read about Colangelo, maybe wanted to shop them. Um, do you see, you know, a scenario of them moving up? Do you think that they're going to package them in a, a, the Okafor trade for maybe like Avery Bradley um, something back in return, or what do you see, you know, ending up happening with these two late picks? Uh, well, I I know, uh, at least currently, they don't so think the Celtics it's are, definitely Celtics strange are in them. I'm uh, oh, sorry, I mean, that was... definitely. First of all, it's definitely strange to hear the the GM of this team kind of being so open about what he's going to do with the picks. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah. Pinky was the exact opposite. He never would have said, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe packaging one of the 24th or 26th picks for something. Like, it, it's so it's just so fundamentally different to adjust to a GM that's out here 
you know, going on radio shows and saying that he, it's very doubtful that both of those players are going to be on the raw. It's just, you know, it's something for you and I, obviously, and then the fan base is listening to kind of wrap their head around. It's it just, it's just strange. But, uh, you know, as far as I definitely – I don't know if they package them both to, to move up to a higher pick. I think if they get moved, it, it will be in uh, in cohesion with whatever move they do as far as Okafor and Nerlens to kind of get the, the best uh, possible package coming back. Uh, if they ended up, you know, moving up to, to the mid-first round, I don't, there's not necessarily like – a particular player. I mean, there's there's a couple guys that I that I like, you know, Malik Beasley, Valent, uh, Denzel Valentine, but they're it's mainly just I'd want them to continue to you know address the perimeter, um, you know, especially if you got Simmons at number one at obviously six ten with his size and, and ability, and you know the front court pretty fortified with Embiid, Saric, and whoever's left over of Noel and Okafor, uh, you know, if whatever comes of those two later first round picks. I think that that's a good time to kind of um, address the perimeter, you know, perimeter position and try to add some of that shooting that you were kind of, uh, you know, referencing earlier. Yeah, and uh, Andrew, um, one of the more like anomalies, I guess, that I've, you know, studied with Brandon Ingram, um, you know, is as good as he was shooting the ball from three-point range last year, you know, 41% on the year. He shot just 68% from the the free throw line on the year. Um, you know, in comparison, Ben Simmons uh, shot just below that, 67% from the free throw line. Uh, does this tell you that you know Ingram's shot might not be as good as some are making it out to be? And uh, you know, is that free throw percentage kind of alarming to you at all? I wouldn't say alarming, but it is it is an indicator. So. Um... You know, I've tried to model uh, three-point shooting and uh, have uh, some projections uh, for the current players, um, you know, what percentage they might be able to shoot and also uh, how many they, they might shoot per, uh, you know, per 40 minutes. Uh, and Ingram was one of the people whose um, headline number um, from a percentage from this year didn't translate, um, mostly because of that free throw shooting and a little bit, um, the volume was was decent, but not um, you know the way some of the real real high volume three point shooters like a healed had. So I think I projected him you know, right at thirty six uh, percent, which is still um, which is still a good good percentage and 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 still somebody you have to respect from outside, but it's you know uh, not elite. So um, you know, last year, one of the guys who had a I think a great headline uh, three-point uh, number was uh, uh, Winslow, uh, and he had he had a very good three-point percentage, but he had really low volume and um, didn't have great free throw percentage. And I think so far uh, in Miami that th- those have held up better than than looking at just that um, headline percentage. So it's you know. I don't think it's it's a worry that he's not going to be able to hit numbers, but I wouldn't you know I wouldn't bank on a, on a forty percent number uh, translating. And Mike, I mean you know we we've dealt with you know Michael Carter Williams who you know had a, a pretty bad free throw percentage himself on the Sixers and you know wasn't necessarily. You know, you could see how bad his his form was. You know, it doesn't seem to be the case with Ingram, but um, 
you know, is it a little bit, I guess, alarming to you, um, I guess, to see that, that number so low when you're thought of as, you know, this elite shooter? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit alarming. I mean, you know, you can you can go by the numbers to, to a certain extent, but, you know, the most important thing to me, like what you said, it seems that everyone's kind of in agreement that it's not necessarily that he doesn't have the ability to do it. It's just that, you know, it's like the form is there. It's, it's not like it can't be improved upon. Uh, you know, last year around this time, you and I were discussing the prospects for the 2015 draft, and uh, a lot of the same concerns regarding the free throws were discussed in uh, in regards to Jalil Okafor. And, uh, you know, I forget what his his exact number was that he finished the season with, but he, uh, you know, he kind of dispelled that quickly in his rookie season. He improved from the line and showed that he was, you know, able to, to work on that. And uh, Simmons' form, by all accounts, is good. And all the way out to, you know, the perimeter, I think it's just a matter of repetition. And once he's uh, – you know, once you're in the NBA and that's your, your job, you know, you're, you're literally just in the gym with, you know, the professional coaches and your teams are working on something. I think that's a skill that can get better, as, you know, shooting as a whole, especially when your form's not broken. So, I mean, it, it's definitely slightly alarming. Obviously, it would be preferable if he was in the, you know, 80s or something like that. But uh, it's not – it's certainly not something that would, you know, cause second second thoughts about so, uh, Andrew, you know, now that we've kind of discussed this all the, today, um, you know, is Simmons by and, and far the pick for the Sixers at number one? I, w- I would say he's, you know, he's the clear pick. I, and, again, you know, the thing I always uh, like to do, you know, the, there's very clear value that the, the scouts add, add and not one of these analytic people say, well, it's all all in the numbers. Um and one of those things is, you know, they really want to evaluate his attitude and, and it is, you know, you hear little rumors and I don't know, if, you know how much weight one really wants to give to those. Um, but, you know, if, if you think like, he's committed and, uh, and I heard you guys talking about Derek Rose or whatever and nearly and, and, and you compare Ingram and Simmons and you think there's really not a clear advantage there, then, um, then I really think, uh, that Simmons is probably probably the way to go uh, with the, with the first pick. Okay, there you have it. Uh, once again, this was the 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky Blumin and special guest Andrew Johnson. Thanks so much, Andrew, for coming on the show. This has you know been great, very informative. Um, keep yep. tuning in the next month for you know more draft coverage, and uh, you know we can't wait to find out, you know, what's in store between now and then. Okay, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Get on time to the show. There's only one road that you really have to know. So get to fish town without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Wanna get downtown but feel in the fix. Get on that road they call 676. The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got the game.
Bye.